Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, and you can follow me on X or Twitter, whatever they're calling these days, at Talkin' ACC Sports. That's at T-A-L-K-I-N ACC Sports. You can follow the moderator, Matthew, at ASD underscore Hokie Smash. But he spends a lot more time uh, these days at the All Sports Sports Discussion um, Twitter account. And that is at All Sports ACC. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew, our moderator, as we welcome our podcast guest and finish part two of our show from Sunday. Jeff, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, so you may have to mute me, mute, mute me tonight because I do not have the ability to mute myself, unlike prior podcasts. I don't see that I have that option here. So when I'm done speaking, you'll have to you'll have to mute me here. Uh, so this week, as Jeff said, we have uh, James Curl on here, and he's he he's just awesome, and he's been very flexible coming out of coming out a second time in the same week. We're thrilled to have him on. You can follow James on Twitter at, at James Curl. That's at J-A-M-E-S-C-U-R-L-E. Again, that's at J-A-M-E-S-C-U-R-L-E on Twitter. He does work at Pack Pride. He's been an NC State broadcaster for more than a decade. He just does great work, and we're happy to have him return as a guest on this show. And the last time, we're going to get to this coaching situation later because James brought up a great topic about Kelvin Sampson, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with James on that in a moment. But first, I want to give James an opportunity to talk about both NC State men's basketball and NC State football because that's why we have these grassroots guys here, people that know the most about their specific programs. James, welcome back. The floor is yours on everything NC State. Wow, the possibilities are endless. Um, I, uh, thank you for letting me come back on and, uh, join you guys to finish out, uh, the first show that we did this week. And I honestly don't know exactly where we got cut off. Uh, but like you said, we'll, we'll, I was in the middle of a Kelvin Sanson, uh, not rant, but, um, discussion points. We'll get back to Kelvin in just a little bit. Um, you know, uh, football, um, you know, the big news, uh, I guess, this week was the ACC did its slowest possible uh, schedule reveal. And uh, we learned that our opening game of the year is going to be on a Thursday night. It's actually going to be our only Thursday night game this year, which is kind of unusual for a season that Carter Finley did not have a conference game or mid-year game for a Thursday. For it to be the very first game of the year and then not have any of the rest of the way is a little bit unusual. Um, um, a little disappointed that we're not going to get a conference game, uh, Thursday night conference game. I really feel like that's where Carter Finley is at its best, but, uh, I can't complain about the fact that our first game of the year is not going to be at noon. Uh, so it should be, you know, pleasant by sundown and hopefully we will, uh, you know, be able to, uh, enjoy it without, you know, sweltering heat. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I mean, it should be a big year for for the football team. A lot of expectations. You know, Corey and I were talking about it last night on our show, just how um, we're going to, I think, see as we get closer and closer to the season when when people start to take stock of all the players that NC State has brought in through the transfer portal. You know, the uh, the new recruits that we uh, signed from the high school class. You know, we talked about three recruits in this class who all got upgraded in the final uh, 24-7 rankings, and two of them landed within the top 100 nationally, um, which is pretty big. You know, I, th- I think uh, people are going to see that and realize that, hey, this NC State team might have something cooking. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it, both State and Carolina have difficulties dealing with uh, preseason expectations. So, We'll, we'll see how the football season unfolds, but excited that our first game of the year is going to be a, a night game, and it should set the table nicely for us the following week when we face off against a, a really good Tennessee team. Uh, let's see, basketball. Uh, the women's team is doing great. Uh, um, uh, the men's team is, you know, uh, having some ups and downs. Obviously, uh, we lost uh, to you guys, Matthew, um, the other night. Um, so this upcoming game, uh, we got two big ones on the road at Virginia, at Syracuse. Both will be quad one opportunities for NC State's men's team. And uh, we're going to be needed because so far we're winless in our quad one opportunities. And, uh, and, you know, I'm hopeful that we will get, you know, a split would be nice. Uh, 2-0 and would be lovely. Um, and I think Syracuse and Virginia are both gettable, but they'll be road games, so it'll be tricky to be sure. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Do you feel as like I'm shocked that Virginia Tech won that game on the road, committing 20 turnovers? Yeah, but you know we committed 18. So uh, like you know it's the the, you know uh, as we were Corey and I talking about it, you know Corey said I think it was only the it was the first time this season that NC State has lost a game where it committed fewer turnovers than its opponent, but you have to look at that from the perspective of it was 20 to 18. Um, so a fairly even uh, number by the time the game ended. And State's just not a, uh, a team that can afford to, you know, um, have – just give up the, the ball that many times. Uh, you know, no team loves turnovers, but NC State in particular, one of the, the ways they make their hay – is by getting more shot opportunities than their opponent. You know, if you look at a lot of the games where, you know, they have success, usually they're turning their opponent over, maybe not 20 turnovers, but, you know, 15 or so. But they're doing a really good job of hanging on to the the ball. And what that leads to is a lot of uh, disparity in the shot total. You know, NC State might shoot a lower percentage from the field, but we're putting up you know, five, ten more shots per game than their opponent. Uh, And that allows you to stay in games where, like we saw against Wake Forest the other night, we didn't hit a single three, and yet we won that game. Um, So, um, yeah, surprising that NC State – I think to answer your question, Matthew, the most surprising thing was, you know, how both teams turned over the ball, but particularly NC State, because that's usually not our MO. I I wasn't surprised that we forced a lot of turnovers from Virginia Tech, but I was – Surprised that NC State turned the ball over as much as they did. 
Okay, so let me ask you. Let me ask you another 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 question here. How are you all feeling about your AD right now? Because you, I mean, you, as you know, we've been you've been on this podcast before. We were very we very had very very much high praise for Debbie Al, and I'm wondering how everybody's feeling about your AD right now. Um, you know. Uh... I don't know. Uh, lukewarm, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, Boo is definitely not the same leadership style of Debbie. Debbie was very out front, vocal, visible. And, you know, I think she uh, made some great hires. And I think she also did a lot of things that uh, you might consider fan service. You know, she she wanted to have an open line of communication with the fans and i think that she resonated with us in a lot of ways you know uh we had debbie l on multiple times on my old podcast and then on the pack pride podcast um and yet we've not had one conversation with boo yet and i don't know that he really goes on anybody's podcast to be honest um i just think that's just boo prefers to be a little bit more behind the scenes as far as administering the state athletic department um, and I say that because, which is a little bit unusual because he accepted the role of the CFP committee chair, which is about as visible as you can get in the world of college football from an AD perspective. Um, and, you know, I think everyone knew, I mean, if your AD signs up to be that person, uh, you know, it may not, well, let me not say it may not be as big a deal in the 12 team playoff era. I'm sure that teams uh, 12, 13 and 14 are all going to be, you know, just as vocal about getting into that last spot as uh, you know, the fourth team was this year. Um, but, you know, the way this year played out with Florida state being, you know, snubbed, um, you know, it forced boo to be in a situation where he had to go in front of the cameras and, explain their justification for what they did. And, and I, it's the, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, and it's, I think it's because it's, you know, it's a committee chair and when committees make decisions about what teams are into a playoff and what aren't, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about how the committee actually works. And a lot of people don't understand it. Um, there were, I saw a lot of Florida state fans literally saying boo Corrigan killed the conference and, or boo Corrigan is trying to kill off the ACC or boo Corrigan is the reason why uh, Florida state did not make the playoff. And as far as I know, boo Corrigan only had one vote. Uh, and he may have, you know, not even had that if, you know, when it came to, voting for or against Florida state, I, I think he might've even had to abstain because it was a conference, uh, his conference. I'm not sure about that. I, I know he would have had to abstain if it was his own team, but, um, my point being is that I, trying to lay all of what unfolded with the Florida state, you know, omission from the playoff at the feet of Boo Corrigan is just asinine. And I'm with, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I, I think just a lot of people are on, on the Florida State side and on the rest of the ACC side are, are all very 
up in arms and frustrated with the fact that Florida State is hell-bent on leaving the conference just as soon as possible. And, you know, they're suing the ACC. The ACC is suing right back. And so there's this a lot of angst that, you know, Florida State wants to di- direct towards its conference members. And, you know, I think that Boo Corrigan was the, the perfect scapegoat, uh, you know, uh, I'm, it's, again, uh, it's so funny that it, it worked out, uh, the way that it did with, uh, Florida State's omission and Boo being the head of the chair, because, you know, months earlier, uh, when the league voted to expand and bring in Stanford, Cal and SMU, everybody blamed NC State because we were the, you know, final deciding vote, uh, to vote in favor of yes. We had held out, um, and stood with Carolina um, and then changed their vote. But so when that vote came down and the league finally expanded, everybody said, well, gosh, NC State's just trying to kill off the ACC. And I'm like, well, as far as I know, Duke and Georgia Tech and Wake Forest and all the other teams in the ACC not named Florida State, Clemson, and Carolina all voted to expand. Miami, I mean, you know, uh, it wasn't one single vote that – you know, spelled the the doom of the ACC. Um, and that one was weird because I saw a, a lot of uh, people I would consider reputable members of the media joining that course of blaming NC State for caving and being the deciding vote. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that we should share any more of the blame than the other 11 teams that also voted to expand. But that's, you know, obviously I look at that situation through uh, NC State rose tenant classes. Outstanding feedback. I'm going to ask you one last question before we go to our open mic. What are your thoughts on the current performance of the ACC commissioner? Because Jeff and I both felt that the ACC commissioner actually could have lobbied a bit more for Florida State. Yeah, Jim Phillips is not uh not done i would say a a great job again i i tend to be someone that and this drives my wife nuts uh i tend to be someone who tries to look at both sides of things and and try to you know walk in the shoes of the people that i'm trying to criticize and say are they are they truly doing a bad job or is this just a situation where they're in tough circumstances and their hands are tied um, you know, perfect example, uh, where you may not have an accurate judge on things in the moment based on the current set of facts is, you know, when Jim Phillips and Kevin Warren and whoever the other, uh, AD was that formed the Alliance, the, uh, very short lived <laughs> ineffective Alliance, uh, you know, Kevin Warren uh, bailed on the alliance and, you know, had uh, voted to expand the Big Ten and bring in, you know, the UCLA and USC. And everybody was, was praising him for being this, you know, genius. And boy, he really pulled a fast one over on the ACC. And then you come to find out later on that actually. Kevin Warren didn't have the authority to do that and and may have violated several uh, conference and NCAA rules in the process of doing that. So, 
what seems like a genius move in the moment may actually get your conference in hot water and cost you a lot of money. And I say that, that, you know, we look at the job that Jim Phillips is doing and it certainly does not seem like he has done a spectacular job. Um, But, you know, we're judging him from the outside looking in and not knowing the full extent of what he can or cannot do. I mean, I'm sure he could have raised hellfire and brimstone uh, to try to lobby for FSU. But, you know, at the same time, he's he's standing uh, at the podium while FSU is trying to sue the ACC to get out the door. So it's kind of, you know, certainly would have improved the ACC financially to get a team in the, the playoff. And I don't think there's any reason why if you – you know, had given Jim Phillips the opportunity to to choose one way or the other, he wouldn't have spitefully chosen for Florida State not to get in. But you know, if you're if you're you know bitching and moaning, forgive my language, uh, about you know your place in the ACC and wanting to get out and and looking for every opportunity to get out of the grant of rights, um, I don't know how eager you're going to be to go to the mat to try to get your team into the uh, to the playoff. I, Perhaps he would have been more vocal if it had been um, a team that uh, was not trying to exit the ACC, like perhaps a Virginia Tech or Miami or, or NC State, uh, dare to dream. Um, you know, perhaps he would have been a little bit more vocal and, and raised a little bit more fire and brimstone. But when you're thumbing your nose at the conference that you're in and saying, we need this and we need that and you're just not doing enough and we're, we're going to lose – our competitive advantage with, you know, teams from the SEC and the Big 12, uh, it's, it's hard to expect that the leader of that conference is going to turn right back around and go to the mat for you and put his uh, put himself out there. Um, so in one sense, I'm not all that surprised he didn't really uh, stick his neck out too far for Florida State. Outstanding feedback, James. That's what we have you here for. Your incredible analysis. The floor is yours, friend. Open microphone time. Anything you got on your open microphone, the floor is yours. Um, I'm really getting back into Call of Duty Warzone. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, I think, um, you know this. This year um, is now a, a good time to to put a button on the Kelvin Sampson coaching discussion, or do you want to save that after the open mic segment? Or is that going to be your open mic moment? I don't know. Um, uh, I I think uh, and and sorry, I, I I threw a question to you after you'd asked Jeff to meet you, so I apologize. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I I. Uh, I'll, I'll set the table for you if you wanted to talk Kelvin Sampson. Um, I, I don't know that uh, there are, you know, a whole lot of fans that are still diehard Kevin Keats supporters in the way that they were maybe, you know, four years ago. Um, I, I think Keats is currently in that, um, you know, I, I think every coach that doesn't just completely – you know, crap the bed like uh, Kenny Payne um, go through. You know, if if your fan base and administration's fairly t- uh, patient, usually goes through about a, a seven to ten year arc. And by the time you get to year seven, 
or eight, certainly year 10, you know, you, you know enough about the coach you've had, you know, in, in the old days of high school recruiting, you would have had two full recruiting cycles to bring teams in and, and prove what your, your worth is. Um, I, I think Kevin is experiencing a little bit of that right now where he's a known commodity. We've seen this, you know, kind of, uh, inconsistent song and dance, uh, for a while now. And he's got, you know, by all accounts, he's got a roster that can win, but you know, uh, the, the fact that there are, <clears throat> it's, it's oddly, he's oddly consistent in his inconsistency. He, he, this year, uh, maybe outside of the Virginia tech game has won all the games that you would expect him to win and lost all the games that you would, you know, uh, based on the teams as you look at them now, expect to lose. I mean, BYU is a is a great team and probably going to be competing for uh, a two or maybe even a one seed by the end of the year. Um, Tennessee, uh, very solid under Rick Barnes like they have been. Ole Miss, probably better than people uh, expected. Um, you know, Chris Beard, uh, you know, trash of a human being, but a pretty good basketball coach. Um you know, those were our big non-conference opportunities to to win something and didn't get the job done in any of those opportunities. And then, you know, prior to the Virginia Tech loss, the only team that stated lost to was Carolina. And that, you know, they're undefeated. And so no surprise there. <clears throat> but I think NC State fans are wanting more. And I think that's natural when you get to this stage of a, a coach's tenure. You know, you, you kind of have seen – uh, the whole s song and dance and you're you're judging it through that lens of you know we want you to not do the thing that you usually do we want you to exceed the thing that you usually do so um, I don't know that that's anywhere close to grounds for removal and you know uh, everything said I mean state still only has two losses in the league and if they somehow sweep um, you know, uh, the two games this week against Virginia and Syracuse, then, you know, they've got a shot at, at turning this thing around and having a really special season. And if they can get in the top four of the conference standings, that would mean a double buy in the ACC tournament. And if they can somehow uh, string together three really solid games and win all three, that would give NC State its first men's basketball title since, you know, 1987. So, um, that would be uh, certainly something that would endear him to the, the fan base because we're just short on championships when it comes to football and men's basketball. Excellent feedback, James. Excellent feedback. And I, I know you've, t I'll tee it up a little bit here. I mean, you did talk about Kelvin Sampson. People like him and you're right. I mean, the last time we were talking, you know, what he got in trouble for years ago seems like nothing today with all the NIL funding flowing. I think you would have several ACC men's basketball games, uh, teams, excuse me, beginning with Louisville, who would have an interest in, uh, in, hiring, uh, in hiring him. Your thoughts, James? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a strong enough coach and proven enough commodity to where 
um, you know, he would be an attractive candidate for Louisville or any, any job that came open. Um, I, as we, you know, said on Sunday night, uh, and again, I, I don't know where we got cut off in the conversation. So maybe this made it into the show and, and maybe it didn't, but, um, you know, he's a guy from North Carolina. Uh, I think I said Clinton incorrectly. He's from Laurenburg. Um, actually, same birthday as me. So there's a, an added bonus uh, point in his favor for, uh, for me. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a North Carolina guy. His dad uh, was one of the 500 Lumbee uh, who, you know, stood up to the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, at the Battle of Hayes Pond. I mean, he's got deep ties to the area and um, just I think he, if he were to try to return to the ACC, I would hope it would be to a tobacco road school. And, and since Duke's not going anywhere with their hire and Carolina seems pretty happy with Huber Davis right now, you know, I, I think if NC State came open, I think uh, – we could make a solid push for him. I think the biggest question might be what level of interest um, NC State fans would show towards him. I, I don't think he's – I mean, I, in terms of, um, you know, I don't think it would be tough – let me put it this way. I don't think it would be tough to sell NC State fans on the idea of Kelvin Sampson – I just don't know that there's like a huge clamoring number of NC State fans right now at this moment, since there isn't an opening, that are like, I would be willing to trade Kevin Keats right now straight up for Kelvin Sampson. Like, you know, I think if the job came open, he would be among the names on the top of people's lists, and then he would start to um, become a candidate. Um, in other words, it's not like Kelvin Sampson is – an Archie Miller uh, back when he was hot uh, in the coaching ranks or something like that, where he actually played here at NC state and it would be like an alum coming home. Does that make sense? Um, so um, I, I think, you know, he's still, he's not young at 68 years old, but I mean, he's still, uh, obviously he's doing great things with Houston right now. Um, and I think you could get 10 good years out of him. Um, well, maybe five, five to ten good years out of Kelvin Sampson if he came home at the end of this year. But for him, for him to have an opportunity to come to NC State would require the NC State season this year to crater in a way that would be uh, really painful, uh, and that's what it would take, I think, to open up the the job here at NC State. <laughs> Jeff, you're up, friend. Yeah, I just wanted to, um, you know, point out. Okay, we've been seeing these things with with three ace with these bracketologists with three ACC teams, and you know, you keep waiting for someone from the back end to take a step forward so that you can say, "Oh, that's 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 ridiculous." And in in the last week, we're just waiting for somebody to take advantage of playing at home. So last week, you got you had Clemson uh, collapsing late in in their game, losing to Georgia Tech at home. Now they've they've got enough equity built up that it wasn't a devastating 
uh, loss. It was a terrible loss. Uh, but if they went on the road and, and got beat by Florida State, you know, they'd be on the bubble. And that, that's Florida State. You know, they'd won uh, several games in a row trying to get on the bubble, lose at home to Clemson. Uh, sorry, James. You know, NC State at home trying to get on onto the bubble. Lose at home to Virginia Tech. And then tonight, Syracuse, you know, who would starting to get some attention, you know, they're in, um, you know, they're at home, lose by double digits at home to Florida State. Um, somebody in the ACC, you know, has to step up and start taking kit tear business on their home floor. Um, you know, we're looking at Virginia Tech right now, and looks like they're taking care of business here in their game up nine against Boston College. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's not over <laughs> yet. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's another team that's trying to get on, you know, get on the on the, on the the bubble. And if they can take care of business, you know, this week with, with Boston College, and I think they're hosting Georgia Tech on Saturday, I mean, they're going to be the team that's, like, starting to approach the bubble, get on that bubble. So, you know, somebody – any anybody take care of business at home even duke even duke you know i know jeremy roach and and mitchell we talked about on the podcast were out against um against pittsburgh on saturday but i mean you're on your home floor you got to beat pittsburgh at home and uh you know i don't know i don't know what's going on in the acc you know usually it's difficult to play on the on the road and they're just teams losing left and right so let, let's see who can who can who can step up from that middle of the pack and start taking care of business at home. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I to add on to Jeff's point about you know the the net and bracketology and all this stuff. I, I you know I hope that we will take a a look at how we use net and the you know I think every you know, for 20 years now, we've been searching for like the perfect uh, analytical magic bullet that will give a rating system that <clears throat> accurately, you know, gives you like, okay, this team is better than this team. And, and this one analytic encapsulates not only how good they are now, but what kind of a season they've had. And um, we should then therefore use this to fill out our brackets. But you know the, your your conference um, as a whole is pretty much locked in by the time you get the conference conference play as far as strength of schedule, and you know like the 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 Big East with by virtue of having UConn and uh, some of the other teams that are in that are you know like Marquette and Creighton, you know they are just you know they're they're boosting the overall ranking of the Big East to a degree that all of the teams in the Big East have all of these Q1 opportunities because just about every game that you play um is either you know even if it's a home game it's against a team that's in the the top 30 of the net or you know your road games are all going to be Q1 wins be, or Q1 opportunities because everybody except DePaul is pretty much uh, a Q1 opportunity. So, you know, you look at uh, you know, the, you know, the Q1 records of, 
and I'm going on bracketologist.com. Uh, if if anybody wants to, you know, head out and and look at a site that does a good job of kind of breaking down where teams stand in the net. You know, just there you've got. You know, UConn has eight Q1 games. Creighton has six. Marquette has eight. Uh, St. John has seven. Xavier has seven. You know, by comparison, um, I think NC State is like 0 and 4. Um, you know, th- there's just not as many Q1 opportunities for teams in a certain conference once your conference net gets locked in. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, by comparison, Carolina has seven Q1 opportunities. They they played a lot of tough teams out of conference. But, you know, Duke currently right now is 3-1 and one in Q1. Uh, that's half of the Q1 opportunities of some of the teams in the Big East. Clemson, again, 3-4 and four in, the, in their Q1 opportunities. Wake, the, the fourth highest team in the net rankings, has only played two Q1 games at this point. So I, I just hope that we step back and figure out a way around this situation we find with the net where, you know, you if you have a, a league with some teams who, um, you know, they, they put teams on their schedule and maybe the teams don't pan out as well as we had anticipated they would be, like, you know, um, State added Ole Miss thinking it was probably a winnable road game and ended up being, you know, a, a, a Q1 opportunity because Ole Miss has turned out to be quite a good team. But you can see that working in reverse where you schedule a, a team where you think, okay, well, they'll pro- it's a road game. It'll probably be a team that's somewhere in the 50 to 70 range of the net. And then, you know, they um, just end up in the, the tank well, then you've lost one of your Q1 opportunities. Um, maybe you win the game, but that ends up by the end of the year being a Q2, maybe even a Q3 win instead of a Q1. And we just, you know, we've we've created this uh, net system that unfortunately it takes l- less of the focus away from like, you know, just kind of a, all right, what does your gut tell you? Like if Creighton and Duke faced off against each other, who would win if you know if the the fifth team from the Big East and the fifth team from the ACC played? Who would win? Um, may still be you know it may play out exactly as the net says it is, but it, I think what will ultimately happen is when we get to tournament time, Jeff. To your point, is that because we're relying so much on the net, these conferences that are ranked at the top of the net, which is you know Big Twelve, Big Ten. SEC Big East, you know, right now, Bracketologist is projecting nine teams out of the Big 12, you know, six teams out of the Big 10, seven out of the Big East, or the SEC, and then six out of the, the Big East. I mean, that that's gobbling up a lot of potential spots that, you know, like, is the ninth best team in the Big 12 really better than the fourth or fifth best team in the ACC? I don't know that. So, I don't know. Um, uh, we're, we're trying to, we're trying so hard to come up with that perfect solution and something that will make, you know, the selection process <clears throat> so much simpler when we get to selection Sunday, you know, I, I don't know that we solved anything. We, if anything, we've just created something that's, you know, more controversial and, you know, 
I think I think the answer, unfortunately, is that it's never going to be clean. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, and so I would rather the imperfection come when you know you've got people who are uh, looking at resumes and saying, "Okay, this team that was good all year that's now on the bubble, uh, they're missing two of their best players." And I just don't know that we could put them in the field because they're getting they're toast as soon as they hit, the, you know, the eight, nine game, you know, save that spot for a team that started the year rough, but figured out something and now is on a tear and no, you know, no nine seed would want to face them, let alone a one seed. Um, so I think we've kind of gotten away from, you know, using our, our, our guts and our eyes to um, be kind of the ultimate decision makers for some of the stuff because we're searching for that perfect analytical system. Outstanding analysis, James, is why we have you on the show. I'm just going to say one real quick thing. Both of you guys have touched on some very hot points there. This is a case where I wish the ACC commissioner would lobby more for the ACC, A, because B, I think the Big Ten historically has five or six or seven or eight teams in the first weekend of the tournament, and everyone but one is out after the first weekend. Am I wrong? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. James, thanks so much for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. Thank you for the flexibility and showing up in not one, but two episodes. You're the amazing. Thanks again for coming on our show, friend. Appreciate it. As always, I, I enjoy hanging out with you guys. Have a great week, guys. Take care. All right. See ya.